Welcome to Stand Out, where you're going to hear from some exceptional entrepreneurs. You'll learn what it took to get them where they are and what you can do to make your mark. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan, with CherylTanMedia.com. You can find the show notes at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. Want to connect on Twitter? You can find me there at Cheryl Tan. When I made up my mind to leave TV news and start my own business, I did what many people do. I did some homework. I talked with people. I read a lot of books or listened to the audio recordings. I followed a lot of people online who showed up in searches when I typed into Google the best online entrepreneurs or the most successful business people. I hopped on webinars. I read blog posts. I retweeted tweets. But there are plenty of successful business owners who are right in your community, putting in the hours to build their businesses, and they are willing to share their knowledge. You just have to ask. I am so excited to share the insight of an entrepreneur who has made his mark in the food service industry. Dwayne Thompson is the CEO of Sabrosa Foods, based in Norfolk, Virginia. I love Dwayne's story because he started his journey simply by solving a problem, a problem he himself faced. He created a specialty salsa made with roasted bell peppers and all natural ingredients that eventually gave him the chance to leave his corporate job. But his willingness to pay attention, to take risks, and to say yes propelled his business to another level. Today, Sabrosa Foods is a multi-million dollar engine. Want to learn how he did it? Here is Dwayne Thompson's standout interview. Hello and welcome to the show. Dwayne Thompson, thanks so much for being on Standout today. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Dwayne, you are the CEO and founder of Sabrosa Foods, and your story is so inspirational. So I want to start with that, how when you were in college, you came up with the idea for this major product. What happened? Well, uh, about 13 years ago, uh, maybe a little more, <laughs> I came up with a, uh, basically, I I was playing football and looking to eat healthy. And what I did is I started a a, um, a salsa just basically for me because I couldn't eat tomatoes. So I had uh, aversions to acid reflux uh, from the tomatoes. So I came up with a, a, a salsa, uh, I'm sorry, a roasted bell pepper-based salsa, which at that time wasn't roasted. It was just bell pepper-based salsa that had a little less acid in it. So I didn't get the acid reflux or heartburn from the tomatoes. I love the concept, and I know a lot of your customers appreciate it, but I think how it came about is what people really relate to. You had a bad day. Mm-hmm. You had a bad game. You're a former football player, yep. and you ever wonder what would have happened had you not had that bad game? <laughs> I'm sure the product would have probably uh, materialized at some point in my life. It just wouldn't have been then. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about what happened that night and the emotions you were feeling as you get back to your dorm room uh, in Petersburg. Sure. So what happened is uh, we we lost the football game. Um, I was playing for Virginia State University. And after the football game, my coach had me go directly to the, you know, usually you get to mingle with the family at the end of the game. And this particular day, the coach was so upset that we lost because we had practiced pretty hard for this game. Uh, he had everybody go back to the locker room for a, a, a legitimate scolding. And... What happened is, you know, he kept us there um, quite long, longer than what we usually stayed. So after the um, after he let us out, we 
uh, everything was closed. You know, the cafeteria was closed. The local greasy spoon was closed. There was just nowhere for me to get anything to eat, and I was I, I was pretty hungry. So my grandmother, who attend, attends all my games, and I didn't have a chance to meet with her after the game. I, she usually brings, she used to bring me fresh fruits and vegetables, and, and she used to bake me bread and bring um bring fresh roast beef and all kinds of stuff up. So a little good a goodie package I used to call it. And this particular day, I couldn't meet with her because I had to go directly to the locker room. So I asked her to give my goodies to my roommate, <laughs> and she did. So I beelined it straight from the locker room to my dorm room, and I was looking to eat this great food when I got back. And when I walked into my room, it was probably maybe about 15, 20 guys in my room just kind of hanging out. It was a weekend, so these guys were just, you know, they were going to edit. So I go to our little little uh, micro fridge in the corner, and I open the door, and I'm looking for my great food. My grandmother left me, and I don't see anything. All I see is, you know, maybe a half-eaten uh, loaf of bread and, there was some stale chips in the back and just, just old stuff. So I look around and I'm looking at these guys and I see everybody had little plates in their hands, you know, just kind of having hors d'oeuvres. And I'm looking and I'm saying, is that my grandmother's bread? Is that my grandmother's roast beef? What are you guys doing? How are you eating my food? So I just lost it. And I ended up kicking everybody out of my room, including my, my roommate. And I mean, I was pretty upset. Um, then, you know, but I was hungry too, so I had to satisfy my hunger. So I uh, looked around to see what I had. My grandmother had, you know, like I said, she always bring, used to bring me fresh vegetables as well. And she had brought me some, um, she used to love growing red bell peppers. Uh, and there was some other things, some, some herbs and spices or something she brought. Uh, and I proceeded just to cut it up and put it into a pot. And we had a illegal hot pot under, you know, this was back in the early, uh, early 90s. And, um... I had, uh, like I said, I had a pot pot and a plate, and I just kind of put all this stuff into a pot <laughs> and meshed it all together. Um, and like I said, you know, I used to have an aversion to tomatoes and I used to get acid reflux so much uh, from uh, from salsa. So I was pretty sure that I was going to have a tummy ache from what I made. But interesting enough, after I ate this, um, the next morning I was feeling great. Didn't have any type of aversions, you know, no type of stomach uh, effects or anything. And that's what kind of got me on this path of, you know, thinking, hmm, healthy food, uh, healthy, all natural, you know, nothing with any type of, uh, uh, no, no, nothing with uh, processed chemicals in it or anything that I couldn't pronounce that's in this stuff. So I figured it had to be something to eating fresh. And that's what just took me off on this path of learning to, you know, make a fresh dish um, and then learning how different foods affect the body. So early 90s, you're mm -hmm. in college and mm -hmm. you probably had another path planned for you, right? So how did you take this idea that you get one night in college? Mm -hmm. How did that go from idea to a business years later? Well, years later, what ended up happening is, is uh, after I graduated college, I ended up working in the commercial real estate field. And I used to, in my office, I used to make this salsa as a kind of, you know, just as a, as a holiday gift item or just as a gag gift. So one day I decided to, uh, you know, make a gag gift for the office and bring in my salsa, but I decided to put a little label on it and it had me up there kind of like, Doing one of these numbers, right? <laughs> and uh, at, uh, I invited all my tenants, uh, commercial tenants, to to the holiday party. 
And one of the tenants actually was a um, was a small retail convenience store owner. And he used to have a place in all the buildings that I used to manage. So he tries this sauce, and he was like, wow, this is really great stuff. He was like, is this really you? Did you make this? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, hmm, said, we should try to put this into the store one day. So, you know, now I'm thinking, wow, yeah, we should. Right. So uh, after the holiday meeting, maybe a few weeks later, I made a batch and put it into his store. And, I mean, and it sold out within a couple of days, you know. It was, I only made like 12 or 24 or something. I can't right. remember how many it was. But the point was it sold very quickly. And that got me thinking, hmm, mm-hmm. maybe I have something here. You know, just being able to make a product that was unique and different from others, you know, this is why people, you know, love to taste. It was not your traditional tomato-based salsa that people was thinking of. Mm-hmm. So that's what really kind of got me on the entrepreneurial path of really deciding to do this. Now, at first, I had no concept of, you know, how to make money with it. Um, I had no no real understanding of the financials. You know, I probably was um, paying way more than what I should have. Well, I know I was. Right. <laughs> way more than I should have because, you know, I was just going to the local grocery store to buy the ingredients and then to buy the jar. So I was probably paying to put this stuff on his shelf. But what it helped me understand is it helped me understand my uh, consumers what it is that they were looking for, and why were they even eating it, you know? And the, every time that I had a chance to interview them or talk to them, it was basically the same thing. Wow, this is so different. This is a unique taste. This is not what I'm used to, you know? And that's what kind of got us, got me thinking on on branding and also why I even started making this stuff in the first place, right. you know, because I didn't like tomatoes. I love too, though, even early on, you probably didn't know anything about a business plan or accounting, even in that early stage, but you were listening. So when that guy said, hey, put these, make these and I'll sell them, you were listening and you were listening as far as branding from that early stage. I love that jar. I would love to see that picture of you smiling. So, okay, at this point, you're listening, you have an inkling of an idea, you have a little bit of success. Mm-hmm. When do you, and you have a job at this time. Yes. So when, at, what is the tipping point for when you go to the next level, when you say, I'm all in? And how did that work out? You know, I was just, I just had a discussion with someone. I recently just traveled back from Africa and I was having an entrepreneur discussion with, um, with a friend of mine there. And this exact conversation came up. And he's, he's at that point now where he's, he has a job and he's about to step out on, you know, on faith for his entrepreneurial side. And he was like, Hey, how did you find out? Same question you're asking me now. Interesting enough, um, <laughs> about six years after, I, uh, I, 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 um, started putting it into that store and I started growing up on the entrepreneurial side and I was still working a job. What I, what, it, it was really weird. And, and I, you have to kind of understand as an entrepreneurial, an entrepreneur, a person who is seeking to go out on his own and start his own business, you, you have a natural growth pro progression. Um, you know when it's just time to go. You know, if you're working a job and you're not, you know, you're not satisfied in here and, you, you, you know, your soul is, I call it feeding your soul. If your soul is not being fed, you you know, you're, you're starving it and you know. In my particular case, I was working for a construction company and when I decided to, to, uh, to actually take the plunge, 
Um, there were some things going on in my life that it, it, it just kind of, I had an epiphany. Um, my, my mother had passed away, and I was actually working in Hampton. And I, I was living in, in Maryland, but I moved back to this area because I wanted to be with her while she was sick. And after she passed away, I was at work one day, and I get out of my car doing my regular routine, and I'm going to work, I'm walking into my office, and I, I just, it, an overwhelming sensation of I didn't want to be there anymore. And I'm just like, wow, you know, this is, this, there's more to life. And I, and I looked at my desk, and I said, you know what? I said, you know, I had already, Sabrosa Foods was already established. We wasn't making a lot of money, but, you know, I had, I had already had some accounts. I, feel like, I felt like I could make it grow if I had, if I had time, more time to, get, to put into it. Yeah. So I walked into my office that particular day, and I looked around, and I, and I said, you know what? This is not the day. I think this is, I think this is the day that I'm going to call it quits. So I said, you know, I'm going to go and pack my things and then give my notice. Cheryl, I walk into my office and I'm going to go pack. When I realized, I looked at my desk, there was nothing there. I had already taken stuff over the past few months. I had mentally already already quit my job, you know. And you, as an entrepreneur, your 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 listeners and your your viewers will probably be able to uh, understand what I'm talking about. You know, it's just it's a it's a, a soul thing. You'll know it. When the time comes, when I realized there wasn't anything at my desk, I didn't have anything to take except one picture of my daughter. And I was like, I've quit this job months ago already. Why am I here? So I walked in and I actually gave notice. And, you know, I took that, that leap of faith that day. I think what you just said, and I've actually never heard you say this before, mm-hmm. is, is it something that unites so many of us? Mm-hmm. That feeling that, and you may not be able to pinpoint the day, although I know you can. <laughs> I think I could. But, yeah, but you, you have that feeling. You're like, I'm ready for something more. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what it is. I'm ready for something more. And I'm sorry for the loss of your mother. Oh, that's been a while. But, but still, and I know it still touches you, but then it was also the catalyst for the next chapter yes. in your life. So mm-hmm. I guess the other question is, you may have that feeling. And anyone out there listening or watching may have that feeling. I'm ready for something more. But there logistically has to be something in place, uh, a plan of some sort. So, and you had that. How did you make that uh, logistical transition? Well, I, when I when I started Subversive Foods, I had put together a plan of of action of when I was going to actually be able to to quit. I told myself that once I my income income level from Subversive Foods met the income level that I was making, that would be my uh, my sign to cut it and go. I never made it there. You know, I was I was making a substantial income with the construction job that I had. So you know, we never got even halfway there. And it was, you know, it was mainly due to the fact that I, I wasn't giving it the attention that it deserved, you know. And what I realized that after I cut, I quit my job, I was able to give Sabrosa Foods all my attention, everything else secondary. And the, and the company just started skyrocketing because I was able to make those meetings. I was able to be in those conference calls. I was able to do some of the things that I needed to do. Now, from a financial standpoint, you really those people who have families and is looking to to make the transition i would definitely suggest that they at least at least get make have their company making enough money so that their lifestyle can can continue on 
Now, they may not, you know, if you have a great job, that's great. You may have to forego some of those luxuries, you know, but the rewards will be well worth it if you're able to put and focus all your time into the business that you're, you're looking to make work. So you're a product-based business, and there yes. are special challenges with mm-hmm. products, especially food products. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. How logistically, like where you went? I know uh, you were making it. You were making your product out of your kitchen in your mm-hmm. home for a little mm-hmm. while, mm-hmm. and then you went to a, a local kitchen. Sure. And then I think you've, you're up to the third, fourth level <laughs> at this point now. <laughs> but where does somebody who's starting out with a food product? Mm-hmm. Where do they make that first step to mm-hmm. to even get uh, their product into somebody's hands? And what kind of rules do you have to follow? Well, the first step is is does your product solve a problem? That's the first step. If you're making a product, I don't really care what it is, if it's a food product or some type of electronic product. What is the problem that your your product solves? And do you have an audience big enough? that you could, you could market this product to. That's the first thing. You have to ask yourself that before you even look to even move into the business of, a, of being a, a product manufacturer. Once you solve that problem or once you come up with what your product, if, what your product solves, then it's time to move on. Okay, now you logistically, you say, all right, I have this product that solves this problem. Now, let me go and find the market. Now, the resources that you use to get to your market could be many. You know, what I did is I went to uh, the, the Small Business Development Center. Um, I went to the SBA. I went to all these different entities so that I could understand the marketplace. You know, yeah, it's true. The government buys all kinds of things, but it's good for you to go in and just see who's doing what you're doing. You know, at this particular case, this particular time when I went to the um, SBA, there were no product companies like mine. So I was kind of felt like I was blazing the trail. So <laughs> what I did is I, I, you have to structure your company and set your company up early in order to be able to be ready when those opportunities come. Does that make sense? Um, so so what, what I did is with Sabrosa Foods, I registered us with the SBA. I registered us with the SBDC. I, I, I found everything that we could put our name, attach our name to and say, hey, we're here. We have these products. We can supply you. And, you know, a couple of years later, people people uh, started looking at these uh, resources and saying, hey, oh, Sabrosa Foods has this product. Let's call them. The commissary, military commissary, for example, you know, they decided that they were in a position now where they wanted to do business with small businesses. They wanted to purchase products because they wanted to 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 be in the unique marketplace to bring in small business. So they found us. They said, hey, look, we see that you have products we would like to buy from you because we would like to start supporting small business. It wasn't so much that they wanted our product for the uniqueness of it. But we were a small company. We had a small product. We had a small business. And Commissary said, hey, let's give this company business. Let's be uh, supporters of small business. And we use that as a stepping stone to go to the next level. You told me once something I thought was so smart is, yes, your product is unique. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a great product. But you told me that it was the process Mm -hmm. and the consistency that you could make batch one be the same as batch 200. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So I, I want to have you talk about that. And then I want to talk, and you mentioned the federal government, but that's going to be a huge part I want to talk about next okay. with the growth of your company. But so consistency for you in your, in, I think for any one of us, mm-hmm. but especially in the food business, batch one, same as mm-hmm. batch 200. How did you make that happen? Well, it, that's quality. That's a quality assurance, uh, quality control issue. Whenever you're putting a product out into the marketplace, your customer is going to expect that level of quality uh, every time they pop that jar or use that product. You know, if someone was making a vacuum cleaner, you know, that this vacuum cleaner worked every time and all of a sudden they buy a new vacuum and the belt breaks right out the box. You have to make sure that you develop processes that gives you good quality assurance and quality control, which on our case, Excuse me. On our case, what we did, what I did is I came up with our recipe and then it to scale up a recipe uh, in the commercial world is called a formulation. So now I formulated our recipe so that every time it comes out the same every time. You know, we use, uh, yeah, I, I start off in my kitchen, but you know, now we use huge plants and huge equipment. I mean, it's a it's a show to watch. But uh, <laughs> even no matter how big we get or how the product is scaled up, it is the same every time. Now, of course, we're dealing with, you know, produce. So you can't say that that bell pepper is going to be the same bell pepper year after year after year. You'll have small, subtle changes that you can't do anything about, but... You know, the the process is the exact same, and you would anticipate the outcome to be the same using the same process. So, essentially, you don't want to change how you are manufacturing and expect the same results, those same great results that got you, you know, benefits at the beginning. So, I really think that that is how you got the attention of the commissaries and the federal government that wanted to work with you, right? I, and I... Having those processes in place, the consistency, I think, helped them see you as someone who could make what they wanted better. Well, with the federal government, it was different. It was it was more so it wasn't so much how is your quality control of your product or quality um, assurance of your product. Mm -hmm. It was more so logistically. Can you get us the product? Can you have the product where we want you to have it when we need it? That's what the government wanted. And gotcha. at that time, we had established alliances. Like I was saying earlier, you know, you kind of uh, establish these opportunities for yourself before you need them. Well, what we did is we established opportunities with different distribution companies around the country. You know, we said, I would pick up the phone when I first started and we would call uh, distributors and say, hey, you know, we're a small company and we're looking to do business with X. Do you deliver to them? And they would say, yeah, sure, we, you know, we have them. Well, great. Can we put you on our list? We may not have had a relationship with them at that time, but we had a phone conversation. So mm-hmm. when the government came knocking, they said, well, you know, can you get your product to a distributor? Oh, sure, no problem. Which distributor do you want to use? So because we had already taken that into consideration, <laughs> it was like, oh, wow, okay, great. <laughs> at least we know logistically you could do what you say you do. It's so many companies out there that when the opportunity knocks, they're not ready. You know, they have, they, there's a lot of your viewers, you have to be ready to scale up. You know, you have to be thinking the big picture all the time. So when that opportunity comes and they want a thousand of your widgets and you only have the capability of making 50, you can't just go in and make a, make a commitment to deliver a thousand in in two weeks. You know, that takes time. Why not while you were 
making those 50 widgets, you know, day in and day out, why not already make some uh, uh, provisions to scale up knowing that at some point in time, you're going to need to get there. So that's a really good point. And you've made those connections, but sometimes those connections mean money, I guess, up front, money that you don't have and for sales that you don't have just yet. How do you know that, I guess, how do you know you'll grow? And how do you know when you make that commitment to scale? Well, you know, something weird happens when you when you go out and you start preparing for bigger things to happen. You train your mind thinking that, okay, I'm, I'm only making 50, I'm only selling 50 products or whatever it is, but I'm going out making phone calls like and, and, and preparing this company to one day be able to take on bigger tech, bigger, bigger, bigger um, tasks. So you, na- uh, there's a natural progression that happens just by preparing yourself, you're moving your mind and you're, you're moving towards a bigger goal, you know, just by making those phone calls and by meeting with those people. And this, it just, it, it is, it just naturally happens. Yes, you're making small amounts today, but that opportunity is right around the corner. That's going to, that's going to demand way more than what you're doing now. I mean, there is, it, it, it is, it's hard to put into words, but just by doing it, there's, a, there's a, a natural progression that it happens. And I can tell the mindset for you has been so critical mm-hmm. in your success. Yes. So I want to mention that your work uh, with the government mm-hmm. has turned your business into a multi-million dollar business. Oh, absolutely. Sure. So I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the beginning. I'm pretty sure I didn't. So I want to make mention of that now is... How have you scaled then these two different avenues of your business? One mm-hmm. is your product, mm-hmm. which is the salsa. Yes. And then two is managing uh, commissaries mm-hmm. and food service for the government. Mm-hmm. And so ha- those may seem like different avenues, mm-hmm. but we've talked about it. Through your mindset <laughs> and your, your way to growth, it really isn't. So. How did that all happen? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's talk deal with the product side first. Okay. Um, when we got the commissary accounts, the commissary um, it, it was very interesting because they they said, "Look, can you stock thirty stores?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, sure." You said, "No <laughs> um, problem." <laughs> and, at, and at that time, I was only doing small outside farmers markets. <laughs> But as I said before, I had already established alliances with what they call co-packing facilities that would, would able to, that understood our process, that knew our formulation, that were pretty much ready because I had already met with them. By the way, there was no additional cost for me to meet and talk to these folks. You know, I just said, look, here's where we're going to be. Will you work with us when the time comes? Gotcha. And, and you found they were open to these conversations. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, because because we we were a new and up and coming business. You know, they were happy to talk to us because number one, it was something that they didn't do on a regular basis, and number two, no companies would ever come to them before they needed them. <laughs> so they were they had a pretty much open door. Um, so I was able to interview and talk to those people before. So. When the commissary came calling, they said, okay, well, can you do this? I was able to just make a phone call and say, all right, we're there. Here is what we need to order. 
they were ready to go. Sure, no problem, Dwayne. Who are you doing business with? We're doing business with the commissary. That's a guaranteed check. That's the government. So their doors were wide open. No problem. We'll go ahead and make the product. Do you need us to deliver too? What? You guys deliver too after you make it? Great. No problem. And we were able to put them in stores and just keep it rolling every time. Now, there were some bumps and bruises along the way, of course. But, you you know, you learn. We were able to pick it up uh, and keep it keep it moving. Um, the bulk of it, making it and moving it, was pretty much the key to the whole thing. You know, uh, later on we had to deal with some issues about who was going to actually put it on the shelf, but we get, we worked that out because that was and that was a simple task to do. Now that's the pro- the food product. So again, we just w- were able to have alliances with companies and people that could help us move that product. Now on the food service side, wow, um, the food service side took me by surprise. I actually was not. I would I almost turned it down because it was something although it's related to the food food service mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. or the the food manufacture um I guess the food business right I when when the government came saying hey look we see you make product that's great will you come in and manage our dining facilities and you know I'm looking at the phone like mm, this is not what we do um you know what I almost said no but the entrepreneurial spirit in me said, hey, you know what? This is a challenge. Take it on. You know, I always say, if you're not feeling a little uncomfortable, you're not growing. Right. So I said, okay, this is as uncomfortable as I can get. So I told him yes, and we went in, and it just so happened that our first account, we just basically just moved in to where the other company moved out. So we, we assumed their staff. We assumed everything that was happening, you know, going on there, except it just changed company names. So it was like under new management. Um, so I came in, and I, you know, I learned the business, and we we uh, improved the business several ways, you know, from a financial standpoint and also from a service standpoint. Uh, the military loved it, and then we started growing from there. So we took one account and turned it into six, you know, and, um, you know, the rest is history. Just at the beginning of this year, we just took over a, a cafe for, for NATO. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. We just started – Actually, January 4th, which is Monday, I think. So, yeah. So what's ahead for Sabrosa Foods? What is your vision? Wow. Um, I think at this point, you know, I have set the business so that we're focused over the next uh, three years on branding the product. You know, um, the product, uh, the name of the product is actually Asorbus. We just made this big marketing push last year. The company is Sabrosa Foods. The actual product or sauce is called Asorbit Salsa. Um, and we did that. Uh, the strategy behind that is to be able to take Sabrosa Foods and push out um, uh, to push out brand brand products. So we're going to be branding, uh, focusing on branding the product, um, products. There's more products to come. And then on the service side, you know, uh, I'm comfortable right now at taking on about two product, two, two more, two um, new projects a year and we'll probably do that for the next maybe five six years and who knows you know at some point in time i think that there is a exit strategy (laughs) um which which again everybody has to have Mm -hmm. you know from the product standpoint once we grow it big enough you know we may sell that division off and you know continue the service side It, it really just depends and you know i have uh, I have a vision of exit strategy, but I haven't determined it completely yet. Now, 
I know you've got a team and you don't do all of this alone. I know you don't. But where do you get your mentorship, your your advice? Who who helps you or helps guide you? And I'm sure it's different from when you started to now. So maybe uh, I know you went to the Small Business Administration, SBDC, you did that in the beginning. But how important has that been for you on your journey through this? Each one of those those resources that I came across, I used where we needed them. Um, yes, I, I had a mentor and still have a mentor, uh, um, a lady named Michelle Hoskins out of uh, Chicago. She uh, she is really um, the person that kind of helped me to structure Sabrosa Foods. And I call it the um, the igloo factor. You know, I'm not the igloo, the iceberg factor, because <laughs> you only see the top of the iceberg when you see the product and you see our services. There's so much going on underneath the water. But she was able to show me how to structure the company in such a way to uh, be able to grow uh, and to be able to, um, um, I, I, would, I would probably just say, just be able to to be in a position where we could grow mm-hmm. and, and do these new things. Now, interesting enough, Everyone who has a mentor, you don't outgrow the mentor, but you do at some point take your own path. And Sabrosa Foods has taken its own path. And I felt, I'm feeling like now, and I'm, a, I'm an analogy person, so I, I always like to put pictures in people's head. Because I feel like before I was pushing this boulder up the hill, trying to get it there, get it there, get it there. Now, Sabrosa has gotten up the hill and it's even down the other side. So now I'm just trying to keep the boulder straight on the other side. <laughs> and the company has taken on a life of its own. And um, I'm, yes, I still direct direct the company, but we're no longer scared to take on new challenges. You know, the company has... Um, has has grown enough to the point now where we can diversify and try new things. Things that don't work, we shut them down pretty quickly and we move on. So I, I do run. You always have to be able to run those ideas past somebody. Mm-hmm. And I still call Michelle every now and then and say, hey, look, you know, we're looking to get into this. Even though she has no concept on how to do it, but sometimes we just need that extra brain <laughs> to, to bounce things off of. And that's what I use it for. And, you know, people who have mentors, especially your viewers or, or listeners who have mentors, they should definitely, no matter how big they get, they should always use them in their um, stable of, of, of weapons, I guess you call it, to, to be able to bounce those ideas off. Because sometimes you don't always have all the answers. Right. Well, like you a know, board of advisors. Even the teams, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even the team that you develop yourself, that you develop around you, you know, your, 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 you know, each, each person that you bring into your fold will have, will bring in a, a, a specialty. And you, as, as you get different challenges, You've kind of just got to be the traffic controller. Okay, I got this challenge. Let me go to this person that I know, especially in this area. Let me go to this person. Because, again, I don't know it all, and I don't know anybody that knows it all. But the important thing is you have to know where to get the information. And that's what happens as you start to grow. And I'm learning that, and I'm still learning. It's great. It's great. And speaking of mentors, I know you mentor a lot of other people. A lot of people come to you and say, Dwayne, help me. And as a result, you're putting a book together Mm -hmm. that will come out this year. Am Am I correct? Yeah, it's looking to probably, we'll probably go into production of a book, I think at the end of April. Okay. Yeah. 
Great. Congratulations. I don't on know that. how, how, uh, it's pretty intense. You know, we've been going back and forth on it, back and forth. I thought right. it was done, but there were still some edits that had to be done. So, you know, <laughs> I think probably April is when it's going to come out. It'll be done when it's done, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how but can people, of course, absolutely. And I can't wait to read it. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about your story? The best way is email. I live and die by email. My email address is Dwayne at SabrosaFoods.com. Okay. And your website, of course, SabrosaFoods.com. We will put that in the show notes. And my last question, after saying thank you to you for your generosity and time and advice, is what makes you a standout? Wow. Well, you know, I don't look at myself as a standout. You know, what I do, I think that I do well is I learn by from my mistakes. You know, um... I have. I am a professional getter upper and dusting myself off. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I fall down and, and I make mistakes. I get up and dust it off, and I learn from that mistake and I build off mistakes. So many people I see um, fall down and it's kind of you know they just waddle, you know, and I, I see that happening a lot. So. You know, when I'm talking to friends or even family, you know, that's and I see them get into that rut. That's the advice I give them. Look, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You know, it just depends on where in their life they make the mistakes and then how quickly they can get dust themselves off and say, you know what? I'm human. Move on. Things happen. It's not the end of the world. And that's what I've learned to do the best. And you've done very well. Dwayne Thompson, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed Dwayne Thompson's standout interview. Dwayne has a valuable lesson for all of us on why you should prepare for big growth for your company, as well as how you should do it. I'll share his contact information and links to Sabrosa Foods at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast, episode number three. If you'd like to be reminded when new standout episodes come out, you can sign up for my newsletter at CherylTanMedia.com. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Cheryl Tan.